bet they're really getting confidence now. All right, all right, all right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Cuddy and the Cooge on Sports. And uh, we're back in the studio. For those of you that didn't know, old Cuddy left the Cooge in the cold for two months while he went out west to do whatever he wanted to do. (laughs) So welcome back, Cuddy. Well, it's good to be back, Cooge. <laughs> yeah. And unfortunately, I wish we did leave you in the cold, but our trip was mostly cold. Um, probably that was the most unsatisfying thing of our whole trip was uh, the weather. I mean, everything else was great, but the weather, every place we went, bad weather followed us. And uh, and so it, was, uh, it wasn't the greatest of two months travel-wise, but we had a good time. Yeah. Well, you know what they say about karma. <laughs> Karma is everything. I know. I know. <laughs> well, tell us a little bit about your. Tell our listeners the point of your trip, the the journey you took, and a little bit about it. Give us a good uh, Griswold story <laughs> or two. Well, you know, I, I, when I retired, or my my lifelong dream of retirement was always to get an RV. So, um, fortunately and thankfully, your mother went along with that idea. So we did get an RV, and last year we took it out as well. But this year we went on a long trip, two months. um, And we started out by going to Key West. um, And, and you know, really last year was more just going to different places and ending up in Las Vegas. This year was more visiting friends and family and, you know, and colleagues that I, you know, haven't seen for a while along the way. So... um, so it was a lot of fun. We started in Charleston, South Carolina, and saw a good friend, Joan Juanita Jacobin, stayed a couple nights at their house, and then your aunt, uh, Chris, came and met us there, and then she went with uh, with us on the Griswold journey. <laughs> uh, but but from there, it you know, even Charleston was not nice. The weather was windy and cold there, and then from there, we went to Jacksonville, Florida, to, to see a family friend from Vegas there. Um, and in Jacksonville, it was miserable. It rained. It was cold. <laughs> and then the highlight of the trip, though, we we went to Key West, Florida, and uh, never been there before. And that's a pretty cool place. We stayed there for about a week, and and the weather was great in Key West. I don't think you can get bad weather there. Um, and then back up the coast, we came and we well, wait, back up to the Key West. Yeah. I was kind of surprised. So I've never been to. Well, I've been to Orlando once, actually twice. But anyway. Never been that south of Florida, and I was surprised to uh, hear you say it's real like Manhattanish. Yeah, it's it is kind of on a much smaller scale. You know, it's um, you know Manhattan. I think is twenty two miles long and seven miles wide. But when you get to the Key West, it's four miles long and one mile wide, and there's a lot of people there. Yeah. Now there's different islands at the Key West, and we were actually at the very end. Uh, so it's, you get that small feeling because there's a lot of things packed in to a small space. That's not what I imagine. Like when I imagine Key West, I imagine like open beaches and like, I don't know, but anyway, go on. No, well, I mean, (laughs) the beaches are beautiful. The water's beautiful. I mean, it's really a nice place. I mean, I, I certainly would go back there in a heartbeat, um, but it is, it's a, you know, small. And then of course, you know, with the 29 foot RV fitting into our RV space, <clears throat> you know, that was a little challenging, <laughs> uh, a yeah. lot of back and forth to get that baby park. Uh-huh. Uh, so you, you run into that, but it, it's a pretty, pretty neat place. We did, had, had a good time there. Mm-hmm. Um, well, actually a funny story about Key West. So I'm here in bitter ass New York and I get a call from my dad. He's like, Hey, jump online and go to some bar and type in <laughs> webcam. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So I go online, I type in what he's saying, 
pulls up the street at Key West. There's Jer in his cut-off tank and his shorts. He's like, you see me in the camera? I'm like, yeah, it looks real sunny there, man. Thanks. Thanks for the call. I know. That was pretty cool. I, I, the Earth Cam Network, where you have all these cameras across the country, and and I'd, been, I'd search them out when I know I'm going places, and sure enough, there was one in Key West, and we walked by that bar, and I told your mom a couple of days before that, I said, I'm pretty sure that's that bar where that camera's at. I said, when we come back down here, I'm going to go over there and I'm going to call Megan and I'm going to have her get, do it. So we did and it worked. I <laughs> yeah, mean, that's it where did. it was at. It's, it's pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it's, an, it's an Irish bar too. And it was hopping when yeah, we were down there. But. I bet. I bet. <laughs> so anyway, from there, we kind of made our way back up the coast uh, on the Gulf side and St. Petersburg. And we stopped and saw an old friend, Henry who was your mom's delivery driver for our flower shop back in Las Vegas. And, mm-hmm. uh, Henry's getting up there in age, and it was really good to see him and spend a couple of days with him. We spent, stayed two days in St. Petersburg. And, and again, uh, it rained. It, we had thunderstorms, <laughs> and uh, the weather wasn't the best, but it was a fun time with Henry. And then, uh, and then once we got out of Florida, you know, we thought the farther west we would go, the better the weather would be get. Be get and wait, wait, wait. Hold on. Back up again. I have another hilarious story that our listeners have to hear. Remember that story about uh, the Uber driver? Oh, so, so my mom had foot surgery um, in December. So on this trip, she, the beginning of the trip, she really had a boot. And with the humidity, her, you know, her foot was really irritated in Florida. So... You know, my mom was calling me and she's like, yeah, you know, it's, we're in Key West. We're trying to get an Uber to go down, you know, to town because I can't walk and the RV, you know, is not very mobile. She's like, so, you know, it's overcasty. She's like, and so, you know, the, the Uber driver can't find our camping spot. So my dad's getting all frustrated. Like, where is this guy? Why can't he find us? So he goes walking to find him. And my mom and my aunt Chris were like, oh, geez, like he's going to go find him. And then all of a sudden it starts pouring <laughs> the rain. <laughs> yeah, They said my dad comes walking back to the campground with steam coming off the rain. He was so mad. And <laughs> I, I, well, I, that was that was in St. Petersburg, not the Key West. But it, <laughs> it was. That's when we were visiting Henry. We were going to go out to dinner. <laughs> have a nice dinner, and the Uber driver, I mean, I get, I literally was on the phone with the kid, and he was a kid, <laughs> telling him how to get to our spot so your mom wouldn't have to walk. And to get to that, to the front where he was at, it was a long walk. I mean, it's probably like a quarter of a mile. And so I take off probably, you know, too too far in to go back and too far out to just just keep going. And it just let go. <laughs> and I mean, let go. I mean, I was, so, I was soaked within the first 10 steps I took. <laughs> I finally found the Uber driver. And, you know, he's like, well, you, you know, you told me here. I'm like, no, I didn't tell you. And it's pouring the rain down. So I just reached in my pocket. I threw the guy a $10 bill. And I said, hey, just go. I can't get in your car. I'm soaking wet. So I walked back and I was soaked. <laughs> and we didn't go out to dinner. And so it was a bad night. <laughs> It's funny, though, because those types of stories are definitely relatable. Like everybody's had that one experience with an Uber driver where it's just like not, <laughs> not a good experience. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No kidding. Yeah. yeah. So that was, that, I forgot about that. That was a, another highlight I get, of the trip. I get the updates. Like I get my mom calling like, ha ha, your dad got soaking wet. And then I might get my dad you know, a few hours later, like, yeah, well, I got soaking wet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, but it was good. It was a good trip to St. Peter's. It was nice to see Henry, and he's such a good guy, and, and you know, spend some time with him. And and then we moved on and started heading west. Um, and as I mentioned, you know, the bad weather kept following us, so we stopped in LSU, ironically, to to see Jack Marucci, who was a guest on our show. And, and uh, Jack was kind enough to take me out to dinner and show me around to all the LSU's facilities. And 
and all of that. So that was pretty cool. The one thing I was sorry of, I, I did miss John Robinson, who's on the coaching staff there. And Coach had left early because he was flying back to California to, to go to some charity benefit because there was a storm rolling. <laughs> so yeah. as soon as we got to LSU, it was cold and rainy. And that we stayed at this beautiful equestrian RV park, which is only a couple miles from the campus of LSU. And I guess on, you know, football Saturdays, it just gets crazy there. But beautiful park, you know, full hookups, the whole nine yards. And it was us and one other person in the whole park. <laughs> and it rained that night. It was pouring down the rain. So the next morning we got up and we were supposed to go to um, – uh, Galveston, Texas was our next stop. And we were going to be there for three days. We had a spot on the beach. And and as we're driving from Baton Rouge, the weather got so bad. The wind was blowing so hard. The rain was blowing just sideways from the wind. And uh, we, we, we just, we had to stop. Yeah. So we stopped and we spent another night in an RV place. Well, and that was the, because Texas, that was the Texas tragedy with their that's right. You know, and we all went that. right through it. Yeah. You know, we we called Galveston and told them we would be a day late. And they're like, well, you guys can still come, but we don't have any power and we don't have any water. That's <laughs> so crazy. we're like, well, we're going to keep on moving. And it was like that all the way through Texas. It was terrible for those people. I mean, you know, they don't have the equipment down there. And I've, I've told this story a couple of times. Um, you know, I've been driving for a lot of years in West Virginia, Iowa, you know, Vegas doesn't get that way, but in colder temperatures. And you always see those signs that said, you know, the bridge freezes before the roadway. <laughs> and I, I've never seen that. I mean, I've, you know, usually the, either the bridge has got snow on it and the road has snow on it or whatever. But when we hit that storm in Texas, the bridges were packed with ice. Weird. It was just weird. And, and, and everything else was clear. So you would be zipping down the, you know, Interstate 10, I think is what we were on. And all of a sudden you'd come to, you'd see, you know, the brake lights in front of you and it would just be a traffic jam and you, cause it'd be a bridge and it was completely iced over. So you'd have to go like 20 miles across. And, um, and if you've been down in that part of the country, the bridges are not like little short bridges. Some of them are like a mile long or, you know, but they were treacherous. And then when we got to San Antonio, Literally, they still had the bridges closed there because the the over the overpasses in the city <clears throat> were all co closed because they were still completely frozen solid. It's crazy. I wonder why that is, like the bridge freezes. Well, because air, go, you know, I guess air under it. I don't know. I'm not a meteorologist. Yeah. <laughs> but obviously, <laughs> it works. That's why they put them signs up. I finally figured out why they have them signs. Um I think I'm more of an engineer would answer that question. Yeah, probably. As opposed to a meteorologist. Well, whoever, whoever, <laughs> but I'm, it's kind of strange. But. It is weird. So the other crazy thing that happened along the way is we, so we stopped in Fort Stockton, Texas, which is just a little town. Um, and we were going to do an overnight there in a Walmart parking lot. And so we stopped there and, and um, we, you know, go into that Walmart and they literally were completely out of vegetables, produce, meat, water, um, you name it. it. It looked like somebody literally came in there and just robbed the place. And then there was no gas along in the Interstate 10 because of um, the trucks couldn't get through. So I stopped to get gas one time, and the guy came out and said, hey, I'm just letting you know, all we have left is premium, you know, well, so I had to use premium because I needed gas, but it was like that the whole way through Texas. It was really, really something to see. I mean, obviously it didn't help our trip, yeah. but, uh, but those people really struggled down there. I felt bad for them. It was a, it was a bad situation. You Definitely. Know? Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. And then we get to say, then we, once we got through Texas, we stopped at Las Cruces again to see a family friend, um, there. And as we left Las Cruces, about two mi two hours outside Las Cruces, it got so windy we had to pull off the road, and and uh, I had some problems with the RV. My slide started coming out because the wind was coming right into my face, uh, and it was 
pretty, pretty treacherous. We had to stop for like four or five hours. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we finally made it to Phoenix to, you know, visit family there. And, you know, Nett's brothers are there and um, Jim and Dan and, of course, Chase's dad, Jim. And we had, a ni- we had a nice time there, nice time. The weather actually was okay. wasn't great for Phoenix, but it was okay. And uh, we did some traveling around, did some sightseeing there, and then moved on to Vegas. Mm-hmm. And we spent almost a whole month in Vegas. And, yep. and here's the other tale of the story. So we had planned to go on a camping trip to Santa Barbara, Lake Kachuma, which is a beautiful part of the country. Uh, and take your brother and, and our granddaughter up there, which we did. And lo and behold, we, you know, Lake Kachuma's up in the mountains. It's up by this little town called Solvang and up by where Michael Jackson's Never Never Land is. And, and, um, what we, happened? Did it rain? It not only rained, it snowed. <laughs> we actually got snow in the mountains of Lake Kachuma <laughs> and it was rainy there. It was just, it was miserable. You really couldn't go outside of the RV and enjoy yourself. It was so daggone cold. It's so funny because for our listeners who we have some on the West coast, but some on the East coast who may have not ever or spent, spent an extended period of time on the West coast, like growing up my whole life, drought, drought, California was always in a drought, like hot, you know, if you're in the San Fernando Valley or the Valley of California, you are hot. Even in even in the winter, I mean, not so much Vegas, but in California, it's always, you know, sixty is like the coldest it gets. But here comes the Griswolds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. It was. The weather weather did not cooperate with us. I mean, it was uh, it, it was a challenge all the way across the country. But but again, it was nice just to get away and you know, again, see a bunch of family and friends. Saw some colleagues from UNLV and hung out with those guys for a while and. Um, so yeah. it was fun. And then on the way back, saw good old Tim Wilson too. Yep. We stopped and saw <laughs> Tim Wilson, who was also a guest on the show. And, and that was a very, um, uh, very enjoyable visit. Tim and I go way back to my, you know, we started our careers at UNLV. Uh, he was a strength coach and I was the athletic trainer. And, and, um, so to catch up with him was pretty awesome. And then to find out, that his wife is like a professional singer was really pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we, uh, we really, me and your mom really enjoyed that. We, we were sitting around the table, of course, having a few adult beverages. And, uh, and I think Tim and I both were a little overserved by then. And, and then all of a sudden, you know, his wife started singing and, and you know, your mom said, Oh, are you a professional singer? And, she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so from there, it was like a concert. Yeah. <laughs> she sang everything from Frozen to, I forget the other stuff. Yeah. but Pocahontas. I mean, Pocahontas. <laughs> she, uh, uh, she got my dad to sing a note or two. <laughs> yeah, she, I even sang, which was not good. My, my, she tried to, I think she just tried, felt bad for me and said, oh, I was a pretty good singer, but I'm really not. My so. mom thinks my dad's a good singer. And she was like, tell him. Tell him to to sing, and she would be like, "Huh," <laughs> and then he finally, because he had a few adult beverages, exactly, he belted out a little note, and she was like, oh, "You're a good singer." <laughs> but I yeah. maybe maybe someday we'll do an adult beverage cutty in the coot and see if we can uh, get, get I, a couple notes. <laughs> I, I don't think that'll happen, but, <laughs> but it was. Um, so, you know, from and after, you know, getting to Midwest, of course, we stopped in Iowa to see your mom's family and stuff, had a good time there, and then made our way back to the beautiful uh, Saratoga. And, of course, when we got back here, um, the weather again, we got back and it was snowing. So <laughs> couldn't top off the trip. And that was April the 2nd or 3rd, and snow was coming down. Which so. is great because, like, the week or two leading up to that, we had pretty great weather here, like – had some nice 60 days and the sunny and yeah. some patio sitting weather. And then they get back and snow one day, rain the next day. <laughs> well, and I failed to mention too, we, you know, I, I, not that I forgot, but I was just trying to cut things short. But, you know, we stopped in Denver to see your brother Johnny. And, and the same thing, we get in Denver the day we got there. It was sunny and nice. 
We, you know, we're in a, a Cherry Creek State Park, which is a real nice state park kind of in the city a little bit. And, uh, you know, got a nice lake there and a real nice RV campground. And we go to bed, wake up the next day, three inches of snow on the ground. <laughs> so can't catch a break. Can't catch a couldn't catch a break on that trip. But uh, but yeah. it's good to be back. And um, yeah, well, while you were gone, there's been some some changes in the collegiate athletics community. Yeah, our uh, our old running rebels got a new head coach. Yeah, you know this time of the year, you know March, uh, obviously with the you know. I mean, everything was so been so screwed up because of COVID, uh, and everything is kind of out of sync and all that. But basketball kind of did hold its schedule, if you will. You know, they started and they they made it through, and um, you know they they did a really good job with their season. I mean, some teams played upwards of twenty five, twenty six games, and uh, um, and so as the season winds down, of course, then you see a lot of changes, and there was a lot of changes, and. You know, first on my way out there, um, you know, when U Albany ended their season, uh, Mark Benson um, decided to go in a different direction and look for a new basketball coach. Uh, mm -hmm. And he made a new hire in a, a gentleman from Marquette University. Uh, uh, Dwayne Killings is his name, a young coach. I think one of those up and coming guys. So it'll be kind of good here around the capital region. Uh, to have a new basketball coach at U Albany and see how all that turns out. Uh, so I'm excited for Mark. I'm excited for Coach Killings in, uh, in U Albany. So that's cool. You know, Coach Brown was there for 20 years, did a great job. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure that, you know, things will work out great for him as well. But, uh, but Coach Killings, it'll be interesting to see how he does in the, in the upcoming season. Yeah, we'll have to see if uh, before he gets too busy or after he's busy. Maybe Coach Killings will be a guest on our show. You never know, Coach. <laughs> you never know. Uh, but uh, but then the big news in Vegas, obviously, was uh, that the head coach of Vegas um, decided to take the Iowa State job, and there was a relationship there. And uh, he had coached at Iowa State for five or six years and uh, prior to going to UNLV as the head coach, and, and their job came open. And so he ended up, I think, surprisingly – uh, to most people out there anyway, was the conversations that I was hearing, you know, ended up leaving and, and going to Iowa State. Uh, and then Iowa State turned around and hired Kevin Kruger. I'm sorry, UNLV turned around and hired Kevin Kruger. And, um, and obviously Kevin was the assistant under Coach Otzberger. I hope I'm pronouncing his name right. It's a tough name to pronounce. Um, and they elevated Kevin to be the head coach. So I'm happy for Kevin um, he's a really good guy. I had the opportunity. He, he came to UNLV and played as a graduate student on our team and actually led the team to the uh, Sweet 16 that year. Yeah, that was a fun team to watch. It was. It was really good. And, of course, Coach, his dad, Lon Kruger, was the head coach. And you know, I think, you know, in, in the years that I've worked, you know, college basketball, you know, with Coach Tarkanian and – you know, guys like Lon Kruger, I mean, they're really, really good coaches. Lon was an excellent coach and, uh, and, uh, and obviously probably a Hall of Fame coach from that regard. But um, so, and he retired as well, right? Yeah. So Kevin got the head job at UNLV. And then, like two days later, Coach Kruger decides to call it a quits at, at Oklahoma um, and uh, retired. And so now, you know, I'm, I'm sure Lon's going to spend a lot of time in Vegas, um, you know, and like, all these coaches that retire, they really never retire. They just go to watch other people practice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, uh, you know, Coach Tark used to have coaches come in all the time and watch practice, and all these coaches all do that. I mean, um, and so I'm sure Coach Kruger will have a vested interest in UNLV and, and helping Kevin. So that, that'll be a, a good marriage. And then, uh, uh, you know, they, and Kevin just had a little uh, daughter, so they have a granddaughter out there now. So that, that'll be pretty neat to, to see how all that materializes. And, I, and again, you know, I think Kevin's uh, prepared, certainly, uh, to do the job. I mean, he's grown up in a coaching family, so uh, he obviously has the skills. But, you know, first-time head coaches at Division One programs, it's always a challenge. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, until you're calling timeouts and making substitutions and 
you know, you're, you're taking the team down to the last shot. Uh, you, you never know. You can never guarantee wins. Uh, you just got to see how the coaches develop, you know. So, but that, that's great for him and, and good for their family. So uh, yeah. I was happy to see that. And, and I think it was good because, um, you know, for years everybody's been, oh, you know, every time there had been a coaching change at UNLV, everybody has always wanted to bring back a former Rebel. Um, and that's always been, you know, kind of a knock on the, you know, on the administration there is, you know, that they overlook the former Rebels. And, you know, during my time there, there really wasn't a lot of guys that had went on because most of them were in the NBA. Um, and the ones that, that weren't, you know, really weren't, I guess, developed enough to really take that job. Uh, now, as, as I got older and started moving onward, that wasn't the case. Um, but, but long story short, I think it was good that, uh, that now they, they can say they have a former rebel. And mm -hmm. even though Kevin was only there one year, uh, he, he still represented UNLV very well. So Definitely. good for him. So then there was some other, you know, big news in college athletics while I've been gone. And, you know, for me, it, it's kind of weird because, uh, you know, when you're in the business, I mean, the busiest month is, you know, February, March, because you're winding down the end of the season, you're getting ready for your conference tournament. And then your hope is you're going to make the NCAA tournament or you're going to go to the NIT or maybe one of the other uh, tournaments that are out there for Division One programs. Um, so that's kind of weird for me now not to be able to, uh, you know, be involved with all that process. And But, and the, you know, the other thing that goes along with that, there's a lot of movement that happens during that time with coaches. And so, um, you know, it was, it was really kind of strange, like Shaka Smart, who was the head coach at Texas and actually won the regular season championship in the Big 12, he decides to leave and go to uh, Marquette, which is, you know, a different kind of a move for a coach going from a power five school to Marquette. But Marquette is known for a basketball. They got a lot of basketball history and so forth. Coach Killings at Albany was an assistant at Marquette uh, to get the job at, at Albany. So it's, it's a really good basketball school there. And, and uh, Shaka Smart had been there before. Um, I think he might even graduated there, but I, don't quote me on that. Um, so he left. And so now Chris Beard, who had a brief stint at UNLV um, for like a week and then left to take the job at Texas Tech, now ends up taking the job at Texas. Mm -hmm. So Shaka leaves to go to Marquette. Chris Beard leaves Texas Tech to go to Texas. Uh, and so you, you always get those coaching carousels yeah. kind of this time Shuffling of the year. Shuffling the deck. <laughs> yeah, very much so. And then, uh, and then finally, Coach Roy Williams at North Carolina, um, he, uh, you know, had a great career at Kansas and then North Carolina decided to retire. So, so from your side of the business, the administrative side, are, is there like – little birdies chirping during this time? Like, are you hearing rumors of like, oh, we think so-and-so coach is going to be going here, or is it pretty hush-hush? Like back when you were obviously working. Yeah. No, that no, it's, it's, it's very dynamic. I mean, you always have to keep a pulse. Um, th th there's two things in the business. Number one is you got a coach that's kind of, you know, hadn't had a great season, maybe hadn't had a great couple seasons. And um, so, you know, administratively, if they don't have a great year this year, you're probably going to have to make a change. Mm -hmm. So now you kind of got your, you know, behind the scenes without going, you know, outside of your boundaries and outside of the university or outside of your little, you know, administrative staff, you know, you start having those kind of discussions, the what ifs, yeah. you know. But what um, about like not your decision? What if it's like a coach is interviewing, like say, f just for the story's sake, say a U Albany coach might be interviewing for another job. Are you typically aware of that? Yeah. 
Well, that's the other end. So the yeah. first end is coaches are going out. The other end is a coach had a great season or they, they're, they're looking at a job that's going to pay them more money or, you know, whatever that situation will be. Those happen more toward the end, like they, because, you know, somebody has to come after them. Uh, but in most, most coaches' contracts, there's a clause in there that they have to, uh, you know, they, they have to have a discussion with their supervisor if they're interviewing or not, not even interviewing if there's interest in another job mm-hmm. or they could be terminated for cause in a lot of cases. So, right. and that, you know, now though, in the, at the division one level, um, you know, most coaches have buyouts in their contracts. So, you know, the, there's, especially with COVID and the way budgets are now, you know, I mean, this is, I'm just jokingly saying this, but there's probably some coaches or some athletic directors are like, well, I hope they do leave because we're going to get a big buyout. <laughs> An example of that is, um, I believe, that, you know, that Coach Otzberger, when he left to go to Iowa State, his buyout at UNLV was like $3 million. Wow. So Iowa State has to pay UNLV $3 million. So, um, so you know, if you're sitting at UNLV, you're probably, Ooh, I'm, I'm going to make $3 million. But at the same time, I look at it like this. It's kind of when Coach Kruger left UNLV um, to go to Oklahoma. You know, there was there was a few reasons, but obviously one of them was a lot more money. But I looked at it like, you know, a very sad day for us because, you know, unfortunately we weren't at the level of a commitment or had the dollars or resources or whatever to keep him at UNLV. So I looked at that as like, you know, a bad thing. Mm-hmm. Um, regardless of, you know, him leaving, I thought we, we were losing a great coach. Right. So you, you kind of, you know, in, when I was an administrator for basketball, I always had a list of coaching candidates. Um, and, and, and again, not that I was rooting against our coach in any way, shape or form. I mean, I want to win like anybody else, but you just never know in this business. So you always have to be prepared Right. Um, and when it when when it happens, it happens very quick. And if you don't act quickly in a lot of cases, you lose a lot of good candidates as a result because there's a lot of jobs that come open. Right. So. Well, that's kind of like, you know, that with the Chris Beard thing, you were saying that that's kind of what happened there. They didn't really act quickly enough on him. Something happened or whatnot. He ended up being there a week and left. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, and, you know, whether, whether it's contractual holdups or, you know, whatever the case may be is, you know, you, because it's a domino effect for coaches. And, um, you know, if if you announce that you're hiring a coach and they have to wait two weeks or a week or 10 days or whatever for all the paperwork and all the things to be signed before they can conduct business, um, that affects recruiting. That affects the kids that are still there, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and it just, it goes on and on and on. So, well, and probably their job security too. Like they're, they're sitting here waiting for a contract while this other coaching job is open right. or interested in them. And what are they going to do? Right. You know, and you can start right away if you come to our place and you can go out and recruit the next day. And so, um, you know, that's, it, it has gotten tougher in that regard because of, um, you know, because of COVID, I think, and then also just you know, the way basketball and football has evolved now, um, it used to be, I mean, you get the coach out the door and the next coach came in 24 hours later. I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of the, what I was always used to. Um, so, uh, you know, now, it, but it, it has to happen quickly or it does really impact, negatively impact yeah. your, your program. Obviously, this is not something you and I are qualified to answer, but just a thought. It's like, how many years, specifically in collegiate athletics or athletics as a whole, are we going to say the words because of COVID? Like, how many (laughs) years till it's going to recover to where we don't have to say like, okay, this is because of COVID, or it's just going to be like, no, this is because of this coach, or this is because of money. You know what I mean? Like, I just oh, no, I just yeah. wonder how long this is going to affect 
everything, but since our podcast is about at college athletics specifically, I wonder how long down the line because of COVID is going to be affecting this environment. Well, I can, I, it's funny you mentioned that, Cooge, because today, as you know, I, I have a couple small issues with our RV. <laughs> so the first thing that irritated me this morning <laughs> is I called to get a, uh, to see if I can get an appointment to go get it looked at or tell me what I need to do. And literally the first thing they tell me is, uh, I said, well, you know, we might as well just schedule an appointment. So the lady, okay, well, we can get you in May 18th, I think, oh May God. 18th at 9 a.m. And I'm like, May? Well, we booked up really quick, you know, with COVID, right yeah. out of the gate with exactly. COVID. Exactly. And then the second thing that ground my gears today <laughs> is I just was kind of curiously, you know, you know, we have some work going on around the house here. So I was... I just wanted to call a landscape company just to kind of get an idea of, you know, what I needed to do. And I wanted to get somebody else to give me a quote. So I called the guy and he said, well, before we go any farther, I just want to let you know because of COVID, <laughs> you know, we didn't have, we just can't get the materials. We can't do this. We can't do that. So it's going to be at least, you know, eight to 12 weeks before anything happens. That's crazy. So, yeah. And I mean, and to the, to our listeners, like not to be disrespectful to this horrible situation, you know, we feel for anybody who's been affected or lost. It's just the fact of thinking how long, how many years till we recover and things are not because of COVID anymore. Yeah, I know. And, and that's a, probably a million dollar question. I mean, because first of all, Unfortunately, we're not through COVID yet. You right. know? So that's one thing. And then the other thing is, once it's finally over, the question I have in my mind, and I'm not an expert, is, is it really over? Is right. it ever going to be over? Mm -hmm. but, um, yeah. but I think now, you know, the good news is, um, like now when you go to the grocery stores or you go somewhere like that, they have Clorox wipes back. They mm -hmm. have toilet paper. They have, you know, the the, the shelves are stocked and right. things like that. So they've gotten we've we as a whole as a society have gotten much more of a handle on it than when it first happened, and we all thought the world was going to end. Yeah, and so we all stocked up on toilet paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I think normality's coming. It's just going to take a little bit of time. And the good news for me and your mom is next week. We get our first shot, so I'm excited about that. Nice. And then I can, you know, feel a little bit more comfortable. And uh, yeah. so, yeah, so things things are moving in the right direction. But yeah, well, but I, I, I did get frustrated today as well <laughs> with that. Speaking of because of COVID, so let's switch gears from uh, basketball news to football news. So unfortunately, UAlbany had to cut their season short. Yes. Can you elaborate on that a little bit? Yeah, well, and you know, I if you looked around the country, uh, now keep in mind the FBS schools, which is the the bowl championship. You know, Alabama won the national championship again, and the Clemson's and you know the the Big Five schools. You know, they all competed in the fall. Mm -hmm. Well, the FCS schools, which is the old Division One AA schools, decided to play a spring season and not try to play in the fall um, for a couple of reasons. Cause the, the, the power five schools said they were only going to play conference games. So those other, those FCS schools wouldn't have anybody to play in the fall non-conference wise uh, and because of COVID um, and not having probably the resources to really uh, attack COVID the way they needed to, like the bigger schools did in the fall. Um, so they decided to move to the spring and see how everything played out. So they started practice in, you know, January, February, and U Albany had a six game season scheduled, which is their only conference games. Um, so they won their first game. They lost their next two. And then last week um, they were playing uh, in their fourth game of the year. And of course we were out of town, uh, but Chase filmed it <laughs> and actually told me that they had a lot of injuries. And 
uh, during the game, but they did. I guess they had a bunch of injuries. So um, Coach Gattuso, the head football coach, decided along with, you know, the um, UAlbany administration after talking through everything, not COVID-related at all. I think UAlbany did a great job with the whole COVID for their student-athletes. I don't, I don't think they re- football really missed very many practices because of COVID. I know basketball's missed a few in the, in the fall, that type of thing, but, but because of injuries. Um, Which, not because of COVID in the way that t- people were testing positive, but ultimately it is because of COVID, because of the limited – I, you yeah. know, training, the limited, you know, res- like you said, resources, the scrunching the season, you yeah. know, trying to get these kids out there when, you know, first of all, they're playing a fall sport in the spring. You know what I mean? Like there's there's still a stigma to like, okay, fall football, we're coming out the summer. You know, they went they went through their first semester. You know, these kids have been used to that programming in their head of like, this is not football season. In addition to you know, not having all the practice time that they could have had and summer yeah. camps, stuff like that, you know? Oh, there's no doubt. And and I, you know, I, I agree with that a hundred percent, you know, in the fall, I mean, first of all, last fall, you, you had no summer program and that's to me in division one athletics, which you Albany is division one. That's a critical component of football. If you don't, ha- it used to be they used to have to make excuses to bring guys back in the summer, summer school or the summer job program, anything to keep them around campus so that they can weight train. Now it's, it's not that at all. It's, it's pretty much mandatory mm-hmm. because if you look at statistics and injuries and all those the conditioning aspect of that is so important uh, because kids go from spring football, which usually ends right at the end of school, and then they take about two or three weeks off. And then some of them come back to summer school. But then in like the first of July or, or right at the end of June, that six-week period where they bring back the whole team and they do nothing but weight train and condition. So come August – you hit the ground running, you know, when you get into fall camp. Years ago, when I first got into the business and Tim Wilson and I were at UNLV, it wasn't like that. I mean, literally at the end of the season, at the end of spring, at the end of your May, you know, season, um, kids were gone. Mm -hmm. And Tim and they would give him a workout program to take home. And then they'd come back and they'd have the old two-a-day practices. And what we saw there was a lot of kids working themselves into shape. So we had a lot of cramps. We had a lot of kids that would go down with heat exhaustion. We'd have guys that would leave in the, in the spring, you know, say they're big linemen. They'd be 290 in the spring. They'd come back and be 340 <laughs> because they deconditioned over the summer. Yeah. Now, you can say what you want. You know, kids – are not motivated enough to work as hard as they need to. Mm-hmm. So the summer program is critical. Strength yep. coaches work them out. They, they get ready to play. So then you get into the fall and what happens is there's a progression. So you start out and you know, your practices are kind of long. And then as the season, you know, 12 week season goes on, you, your practices get down and you, you start to naturally decondition the weather's changing. It's starting to get colder. But you're going from hot to cold. In New Albany's situation this year, they started in January. Now, keep in mind, that, and this is not a knock on New Albany. It's just the way it is. They don't have an indoor practice facility. And, you know, to me, being in the Northeast, not having an indoor practice facility, I think is a huge, you know, it's tough. Yeah. I mean, it's tough for your lacrosses. It's tough for your soccers and your footballs. I mean, because let's face it, it, you know, well, even baseball, softball, I used to joke with our coaches, the baseball, softball coaches, they're like, I was amazed. They, they literally don't even see their fields like green until like April. Uh, Cause you know, the snow doesn't melt here until March or April. Yeah. So now you got football coming back. 
they started in January. And I remember, you know, uh, even before we left, seeing some of the, the video on television of their practices and it's snowing and there's snow on the field. So you're, you're trying to condition an athlete in cold temperature, you know, so they're basically probably right now, uh, if those guys are probably get it, just starting to get into shape. Right. You know what I mean? And, and now the season's over. So again, not scientific or anything like that, but, but I, I believe it, it was tough and you've seen a lot. I shouldn't say a lot cause I don't know the number, but you've seen some FCS schools do the same thing. They decided to, you know, halt their spring season. Yeah. Um, it's just, it is a short window is cold. Yeah. And I, I just think it, it wasn't conducive. Well, to what and it, the other, the other thing to consider is like, like you said, at the end of the day, these are college kids. What kind of person in their right mind is going to be motivated to get up when it's negative degrees yeah. and go freaking go all out? I don't even like to walk from my car to the front door when it's that cold. Well, it's hard. I mean, and, and you know, if, you know, I was in the business, I mean, I, I've been at a lot of practices where it's freezing cold or it's rainy or it's really, really hot. And I think you can ask any student athlete in any sport, would you rather be freezing cold or would you rather be warm? They're going to tell you they'd rather be warm. Yeah. It's just harder to get you know, it's just harder to do stuff when you're cold. I yeah. mean, especially football is a contact sport. Yeah. And you're out there banging around in pads and everything. It, it doesn't feel good. Well, you it's know? like you said, t- like like I we both said, typically you start when it's warm. You, you start practice in the summer. You start when it's warm. Your first handful of games are warm. And by the time it's cold, you're conditioned. You're in good shape. Right. You're, you're ready to, like, take that on. But, like, oh, starting... Nobody wants to do anything in January no. in upstate New York. <laughs> I think the, you know, again, you know, you, you can't be critical of anybody who did any of this stuff because I think everybody tried to do what was best for the student athlete and give them an experience and all that. And so, I, you know, I think there's a lot of credit due there. But, um, you know, the spring football thing was, I think, tough. Now, probably not in Florida. You know, yeah. maybe not out west, but a majority of the FC, FCS schools that are really good, you know, the North Dakotas, the South Dakotas, the Montanas, you know, the the CAA League, which Albany is a part of, those types of teams, most of them are in cold weather. So mm-hmm. you're not going to have too many games where it's going to be very warm. Uh, yeah. You know, so. So are they talking about now, not you, Albany, but just in general, are they talking about fall football? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The fall, you know, fall schedule's out for Albany. I mean, it's going to hopefully revert back to, you know, a 2021 fall football season for, you know, all these schools and get back to normal. You know, yeah, so. that'll be nice to see. Speaking of um, football in upstate New York, the Steelers play Buffalo at Buffalo this year. They do? Yep. Second game Ooh. of the season, so it won't even be cold yet. Ooh, we might have to we might have to get out there for that one. Yeah. <laughs> hey Buffalo, if you're listening and you want to sponsor this podcast, yeah. we will come to that game. Yeah, we will. <laughs> yeah. We need tickets. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. By sponsor this podcast, I mean just a couple free tickets. That's all we're asking. <laughs> I didn't know that. I haven't checked the Steelers schedule yet, but that, yeah. that'd be a good game to go to. Yeah, yeah. Although Buffalo is pretty good now, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, it might be a bad game for a Steelers fan, but yeah, that's all right. <laughs> you know, yeah, Big Ben's coming back. I was hoping that wasn't going to happen. Why? Ah, oh, I don't, I don't like Ben. Oh God, Ben's I do. not my favorite. <laughs> Let me tell you what: if you, you'll be, you'll see though, when he decides, you'll see like, for example, with uh, Drew Brees in New Orleans, those kind of guys are hard to replace, man. Yeah. I mean. You know, Ben's slowing down, you know, there's no question. I mean, hey, he's had a great career. He probably could and should maybe retire, but those guys are hard to find. Yeah. And I'm telling you, man, you, it, it's, there's such a big drop-off because they just know the game. They instinctively know the game. And 
Yeah. You know, they, they know how it works. And But those last couple games of the season, man, he looked horrible. Yeah, he, he really He looked did. like he was just, like, gave up. Yeah, I, I think Pittsburgh just I, – I don't know what happened to them last year. They just all of a sudden went into a funk and never could recover. And, you know, I don't know. I don't know. But yeah. um, hopefully they'll have better – Better games ahead this year. I sure <laughs> yeah. hope so. Because I, I was watching. I've watched a couple of my pirate games. I don't know that's going to go very good this year either. Yeah. They're really young. I mean, they're you know they got a lot of guys that have a lot of talent, but they're so young mm-hmm. that uh, it's going to be tough. So yeah, yeah. Well, well, well. It was good. It's good to have you back. Good to be back. Glad and you're looking, back at the homestead. Yeah, looking forward to moving forward here. Hopefully, we're. Uh, you know, we're going to start bringing in some more guests and uh, that I can go visit again next year <laughs> and, yeah. uh, and kind of keep keep rolling along. So and uh, getting ready for spring here in upstate New York. Before you know it, the boat will be on the water and yeah. the poles will be in the line in the, in the water fishing. So yeah, be maybe good. maybe we'll come at you live from the boat podcast from podcast the boat. Podcast from the boat. That'd be kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not fun for the producer, probably. <laughs> all right everyone well thanks for tuning in just for our catch up get us back into the groove and uh like my dad said we'll be back with some guests we got a we got a nice good looking list of guests that we're we're getting scheduled for you in the coming weeks so we will see you next week sounds good see everybody next week have a good one Thanks for listening, everyone. Um, Wherever you're streaming this podcast, if you would be so kind as to give us a subscribe and maybe even a review. In addition, you can find us for any updates on social media, Facebook or Instagram. Our handle is at Cuddy and the Cooge. Cuddy with a C, Cooge with a K. Or you can email any questions or submit any feedback to Cuddy and the Cooge at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you.